Um, and the meme is reasons why Christians don't attend sporting events. Has anybody seen this? Reasons why Christians don't attend sporting events anymore? Okay. All right, I'm just going to read through some of the, the points that they made. They said, every time I went, they asked for money. People in my row weren't friendly. The seats were hard. The coach never came to visit me. The referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. The band played songs I'd never heard before. The games were scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. I read about sports and felt like I knew more than the coaches anyway. And I don't want to take my kids because I want them to choose for themselves what sports they like best. Now, it's funny because, you know, you think about it at sporting events, that's kind of ridiculous. But these are some excuses people make to not go to church. Um, and um, because I think it, along the way somewhere we've lost the importance of being part of a church community um, and being part of a community of believers. So let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 16. We're going to kind of take a look at kind of the beginning of where the church came from. Um, what the purpose of the church was tonight, and what this means for us as believers to be a part of the church. So Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. Peter, have you made my app yet so I can listen to the pages rustle? <laughs> we need that. Page rustling app. Okay. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Why do men say that I, the son of, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he told his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Jesus the Christ. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> it's like, don't tell anybody. You know this is the truth, but don't tell anybody. You're going to ruin the surprise, right? <laughs> um, and this is really interesting because it's the first time that we hear talk of church in the scriptures. It's the first time they really use the word in the sense that we use it. Up until this point, it was always temple or synagogue or tent of meeting. Um, the word church is ecclesia. It means a religious meeting or a group of um, both living and departed believers. When we think of the church, we think of it not just as people who are here on earth, but also those who are with the Lord. They're still part of the church because we're all one body of believers. Now, nothing weird, like they're not going to, you know, talk to them or have them show up or, you know, pray to them or any of that kind of stuff. Just that, that they are still considered part of the church even when they're with the Lord in heaven. Um, and many people have interpreted this passage to say that literally that Peter was going to be the founder of the church. That's not what it's saying at all. <laughs> um, the passage is actually saying that the, the, the belief that Peter spoke, that was the rock that he was going to build his church on. The idea that Jesus was who? The Son of God, the Messiah, the one who had come to save everyone. And that was the foundation of the church. This belief that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Messiah, and that belief in that truth is the foundation for the church. That's the rock that the church is built upon. Not some guy named Peter, but actually on that rock of truth 
of who Christ is. Without Christ, we have no church. We just have a bunch of people getting together in weird-shaped buildings. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if you think of it. They're beautiful, but really, I've been, I was driving the other day. I was like, I wonder where the steeple came from, this kind of stuff that I think about. So now I have to Google it one of these days and do a whole history on why we have steeples. Because why do we have steeples? I mean, really, it's a waste of space if you think of it. I mean, if you have a bell, I get it. But if there's no bell, I mean, birds and bats needed a home. You know, I have no idea. So we'll have to check it out. So um, the church was part of the plan from the beginning that those who believed the truth about Jesus would be part of a group, okay? So they'd be part of this group, part of this community. And let's take a look at John chapter 17. So what's the point of all this? So Jesus thought this was a good idea. God thought this was a good idea. Let's have a group. And, you know, when he called the disciples, he called a group to hang out with them. God calls groups of people a lot. It's kind of fun. Not the way I would have done it. I'm a bit of an introvert, so, you know, I'd be like, let's go by ourselves. (laughs) But God's like, no, we're going to go in a group. All right, fine. All right, so John chapter 17, taking a look at verse 20. Jesus is praying. And this is a familiar passage um, that we read usually around Easter time, and it says, that I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus is praying before he's taken to be crucified or tried and crucified that those who come after not just his disciples but everyone comes after that they find this oneness not not like a weird oneness you know not like you know let's sit here until we're one <laughs> nothing like that but this the sense that we're in total unity of spirit and and belief with each other and with God that we have this oneness, the way that Christ and, the, and God are one. And the scriptures tell us that what? There's the three in one, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. They're not three separate guys. It's not like God's the boss and then Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. They're all one, and they function as one. And they, we may see them doing different things at different times, but they're all one. And that same desire Jesus had that we would have that unity with each other and with God. It's kind of like, Whoa. If you think about it, like we as believers would have that kind of unity with each other. We haven't gotten even close. 2,000 years later, we're still, you know, lucky that <laughs> we can sit in the same room without conflict. And his prayer was that we'd be one, that our purpose would be one. And that was, that was part of the vision for the church, that those who believed that rock, that truth, that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the foundation of the church, would enter into that relationship with him and that find that unity through Christ with others, that we'd have that oneness. And so we know that Jesus then after this is crucified and resurrected. And we skip ahead to Acts chapter 2. You know, Acts chapter 2 is where we first read about the Holy Spirit coming, and it's the day of Pentecost, um, what we celebrate 40 days after Easter. (laughs) Pentecost, all right, which is the Feast of First Fruits. And really, it's kind of the birthday of the church, officially. Um, the festival of first fruits is really kind of cool. Basically, what would happen is the priests in the Old Testament would go outside. They'd go to the fields where the first wheat had popped up. They'd take some of the wheat, they'd take it back, and they'd grind the wheat into um, flour. Then they'd add the oil, and they'd add the water, and they'd make a cake, and they'd bake it in the oven. 
and that little like barley cake or wheat cake or whatever it was that was offered to God as first fruits. And it's interesting because you talk, Jesus again said, unless the seed kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, there'll be no fruit. And you have this picture of Christ coming, Christ dying. Out of Christ's death comes what? Life, the new life of those who believe in him, right? And then you have the day of Pentecost. And Jesus said, I'm going to go and another's going to come. And it's going to give you power that you might be my witnesses. So everybody who stayed, they're all up in the upper room. They're praying. They're seeking God. They believe this truth. They're the first fruits of that, that revelation of Christ's salvation, of that forgiveness. That's them. Um, you know, when Mary goes running from the tomb and she's like, he's alive, he's resurrected. She was one of the first people to proclaim the gospel. Like, there's this, there's this powerful, these are the very first believers. I mean, it's crazy to think of it, you know, the first. And we see in Acts chapter 2, it says, starting in verse 1, the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's this powerful thing that happens. They're all together. They've all been praying and fasting for days, seeking God, these first believers. And then God sends the Holy Spirit in this very powerful visual way with tongues of fire and a rushing wind, and they're all gathered together, and they suddenly receive this power from on high. And in a little way, it's kind of like an oven, if you think about it. The picture of suddenly this wind and flames and this transformation happening. Just like when you put that, if you've ever watched bread in like an outdoor oven like they would have used. And so we've, we understand that a lot of these, these acts that we see in the Old Testament and in the, um, the traditions that were given to the priests, they were prophetic in action of what God was going to do. So this, there's no... No accident that the day that the Holy Spirit came to the first believers and filled them with power from on high in a vision of tongues with flames and the whole bit happening on the exact day of Pentecost, that's not accidental. And so we have this first group coming, and they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they go out in the streets, and they begin speaking to people, and the tongues that they're speaking are the languages of the people that are all gathered, and Peter gets up and he shares the truth of the gospel, and all these people come to faith in Christ that day. It's this huge deal, and it's awesome, and it's exciting. And it says Jews from every nation heard and they believed. And they received the gospel, and they turned their hearts to Christ, and they were baptized. And so it's pretty amazing. And then looking at verses 43 through 47, we have this thing happening, and it says that, um, if I can go back, find that. It says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and good, and divided them among all as anyone needed. So, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So after all this excitement happens, and these people all give their hearts to Christ, they form this community. And this community was marked by fear upon every soul. And it wasn't this, like, you know, freaking out, we're afraid, this is scary. It was a reverence and an understanding that God was real, this truth was real. And it was powerful, and it was available to them 
Because many of these people had never seen a sign or a wonder or anything, and here they had just experienced the day of Pentecost. They had just heard of Christ coming back from the dead and all the signs that had followed his resurrection. So it was a completely different um, revelation than they'd had. So there was a reverence that happened. And it says many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So those that had been disciples that are now apostles. And the reason we call them apostles is because they went from just being students to being planters. People that were going out and telling the truth and starting new communities. That's what an apostle is, essentially, um, is a church planter, a missionary. And they said doctrine and fellowship. So they were establishing doctrine. What was the truth that they believed? They weren't just letting people show up and believe whatever they wanted. They were, they were working out, what did Jesus teach us? What did he really mean by this? What are we supposed to believe by this? And fellowship, that was a key thing, spending time together in breaking of bread and in prayers. So that means they ate together and they prayed together. And many wonders and signs were done. And they, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided among all did. Now that sounds awesome, <laughs> doesn't it? The idea that they could just sell everything and everybody lives in commune and grow out your hair and make some love beads. Just kidding. <laughs> Having a good time. <laughs> and everything turned, turn. just kidding. Okay, all right, anyway. And they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house. So they went from, to the temple and they went house to house and they ate together and they were glad and they had a simplicity of heart. So they didn't have a lot, but what they had what they needed and they were grateful and they thanked God for having everything and for the favor they were having. And this is the Lord added daily to those who were being saved. And the thing that we see here in this picture is that there was a reverence for who God was and what God had done in their lives. They were seeing God's work happen through the leaders. They were sharing everything they had with one another and caring for one another with genuine love. And they were spending time together. And those things marked that first church community, the very beginning, beginning, beginning. And through that, daily their numbers were being added to. I mean, who would not want to be a part of that, right? A community of people that genuinely loved each other, that God was genuinely moving, that they had a genuine truth, and they cared for one another in such a real way. And, you know, you think of it today in comparison to how our churches are, just in that relationship aspect. Because we could look at a lot of other things, but that relationship aspect, we isolate ourselves a lot from other people. We can always find an excuse not to spend time with others. Um, and they made it a priority. Now, granted, they were from a Middle Eastern culture. That's kind of like... Priority number two. <laughs> it's like faith and family, you know what I mean? And and their in their way of life. That if someone shows up at their door, you just welcome them in and you feed them and you do whatever you have to to take care of them. There's not this, well, we need to schedule it and clean the house and plan a meal and go on Pinterest to make sure we have the perfect recipe. And then, you know, <laughs> it's it's not so involved. It's like, oh, you're here, my house is a mess, come in, I'll feed you. I don't care. That's that's more the reality. Um, it's something we experienced when we were living overseas. You go into people's homes, and they're an absolute mess, but they're happy to have you there, and they'll give you food and sit and talk to you for hours and be sad when you go because that relationship matters more than all the rest of it. Um, and I think that's such a key piece for us when looking at having a devoted life and being part of the community of believers is that we're a community. We're not just us going to church. Um, and so um, then let's take a look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. 
They said, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither did anyone say to any things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of those things that were sold. So there was an attitude in that first community that they didn't want anyone to go without. So whatever anyone had was there for the greater good of everyone else. And so the idea was then you have someone that shows up and, you know, they don't have food. Somebody who can afford to feed them feeds them. Someone doesn't have clothes. Someone who has the ability to give them clothing, clothes them. Some people are like, well, I have this land. I'm not doing anything with it anyway, so I'll sell it. And that money all goes to care for other people. This, this, this visual of that self-sacrifice that we talked about week one, that we put others ahead of ourselves. And this was a very practical, tangible way that they did it financially. But for us, it might be something completely different. But that marked that first, first community that they made sure that nobody went without. And so there, you know, and it sounds awesome, and it was. Like, God was doing amazing things um, in this first church. But that doesn't mean that it stayed that way. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it was without challenges. If you go on to read into Acts and the other, the rest of the, the, rest of the book of Acts, they faced real persecution very soon. People being brought in and arrested. In Acts chapter 7, we hear about Stephen being stoned. Um, and not the kind that we talk about legalizing, but the kind where they throw rocks at you for till you die. Um, I read an article about someone stoning once. It took two hours. Two hours for the person to die. Um, so it wasn't like a quick, they hit you in the head with a rock, you black out, and that's the end of it. It was two hours of men throwing rocks at you. Um, so it was a horrible thing he endured. And they, they went on and again with arrests and accusations. Um, and then divisions came up as the church grew and it spread. Divisions came up because the first group of believers were all Jews. So they all agreed on their Jewishness. <laughs> you know, they practiced circumcision. They'd had all these rules and rituals that they had followed. And then they came to faith in Christ, and it's like the final revelation of what God was teaching them all along. Well, then the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and they're like, what do we do with these people? <laughs> they're nothing like us. And so this rift, ha this rift happens where some of the people who have were Jewish believers said, well, these Gentiles need to be circumcised. They need to follow our traditions. And others were saying, nowhere did Jesus say that that has to happen. <laughs> nowhere is God telling us that they have to go and be circumcised and believe all these things. They have to believe in Jesus. He said, you know, believe in me and be baptized. That's, that's what he told us. So this rift happens, and you have this division that takes place at the very beginning. And this isn't years down the road. This is very soon after. Um, and you have... Um, Growth that happens through missions as a result of people being faithful. And they go all over the world. And you read stories of people being shipwrecked on islands and going to places and telling the truth. And a lot of the places they went were hard. Um, they were persecuted. They were attempted to be stoned. Read about what Paul went through. It's kind of exciting. He had kind of a fun time. He was like stoned and he was shipwrecked and he got bit by a snake. And like there's all this crazy stuff that goes on. It's really fun. It's, they should just make like an adventure movie. Be like, <laughs> be awesome. All right. And like they're in jail <laughs> and like God did miraculous things, but it was not an easy thing. And there was, there was a lot of the same things that we're seeing today 
in the church happening then. We Today we see the same thing, persecution around the world. There are people being persecuted. You know in the news, just in the last year, how many people have been killed just for being Christians, for having that faith, um, or being arrested for their beliefs. We have division. Oh, my goodness, do we have division in the church today. You know, people having different beliefs. And some of those different beliefs are deal breakers because they're sin, that we'd say what you're believing is not right. The scriptures clearly say this is sin. And we draw in and other things like how we view different doctrines are not deal breakers. It's just a different take on things. Like today. Today is Lent. First day of Lent. We don't do Ash Wednesday. Why? Because we don't. Does it mean that Ash Wednesday is wrong? Absolutely not. It's really cool, actually, because it's marked the beginning of a 40-day preparation for Easter where you practice repentance and ask God to prepare your heart. And the whole, the whole ritual of fasting and prayer that goes in those 40 days is pretty awesome. But we don't do it because we just never have in our denomination. Um, do we tell people not to? No. We encourage people to pray and repent and fast all year long <laughs> because we need that. Um, but it's not a deal breaker in our relationship with the believers that do those things. Um, and so there are these divisions that happen, and a lot of it has to do with differences of opinions or how people choose to worship, whether they wear a suit and tie on Sunday or not. <laughs> these things create division. Um, but they're not the end of the world, and we still love them, and we still value them as believers. And, and so we see these things, and we still see the gospel going out around the world through missions. Um, and let's take a look here. Go, they'll take us to the purpose of the church. Let's take a look at um, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It's a famous passage. The very first and foremost reason for the existence of the church is the gospel. Um, Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That was the commission that Christ gave his followers. Um, going back to that rock that the church was built upon, that message of Christ, the Savior, the one who came to free us from sin, to have a relationship with God, um, that they would believe and then be baptized as a sign of their belief, and that they would go and they would tell other people the same message and teach what Jesus had taught them. That was the foundation. Romans chapter 10 talks about this as well and the importance of it. Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 13, says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good news. And that, that, that drive that comes from faith in Christ to share this truth of who he is and what he did for us and to take that truth to the ends of the earth, that's reason number one. We'd say it's our raison d'etre. It's the reason the church exists is to do that thing to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see that, that we know because they obeyed Christ, we're believers today. I love doing that when, we, when I was leading kids' church, showing the kids how the gospel went from here to here to here to here to here, and that's how it got to you. And that if someone here hadn't been obedient, we may never have heard the truth about Jesus Christ. But because they were obedient 2,000-plus years later, we are sitting here together in a church community 
sharing the same stories and the same beliefs and the same truth because they were obedient to this. And that we as believers still need to obey this. And people were like, well, doesn't everybody already know? I mean, come on. Like, I live by three churches, seriously. But the reality is they don't. And there are whole people groups who have never heard the gospel that don't have the scriptures in their language. There are billions of people on earth who have never heard of who Christ is and what Christ did. And that's the reality. Even in the world with all of our technology and all our internet and all our TV preachers and everything, there are people who have not heard. I was reading an article this week, which was kind of amazing, about Nepal and how in Nepal the number of Christians is growing so fast that it's actually people are annoyed by it. Where years ago you couldn't even get into Nepal to share your faith. It was closed. You, there, was, there was no go to Nepal. And now the church is growing so dramatically that it's affecting everything because they were finally able to get in and share the truth. And God is growing the church in this place in a big, big way. And they're seeing transformations happening as a result of it. And, um, but years ago, that didn't happen in our lifetime. That didn't, that hadn't happened. And, um, God is still seeking those that will go and be obedient and be faithful to go to even the hard places and share his truth. And for some of us, the hard places next door, <laughs> the hard places, you know, to live this gospel truth in our lives so people can see that we're Christians. Um, that can be the hard place for us. Um, another reason was to care for the needy. Let's take a look at James chapter 1, verse 27. I love this verse a lot because it's so clear. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, it's on the next page. Okay. Sorry. Um, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's it. That's pure religion. To care for widows and orphans and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Righteous living and the care for those who are in the most need. And even today, widows and orphans are still those who often need the most care. And they're the most vulnerable in countries around the world. Let's go back to Acts chapter 6. One of the first little situations that came up with the early church, the early, early, early church, the first people, um, was a situation with um, widows. And it says, now in those days, starting with verse 1, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now the Hellenists were just like another group um, in the area. And they, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it's important to note that there, that they, those that knew that they, the, the, like I said, reason number one for the church is the gospel. We don't sacrifice the gospel for this. But we need to do this other thing, too. Um, and so they said, our, we know our job is to keep sharing the word of truth and the gospel, but we need to meet this need. So let's find some people in our community to do this. And so they, um, after saying, after the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, 
Parnas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And it says, then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So they not only responded to this need in their community, but they took it very seriously to the point where they, they prayed and asked God, who, who should we pick to do this? And they picked these seven men. And people sometimes wonder, well, why did they pick seven men to do this? I mean, they're caring for widows. They're feeding people. Isn't that women's work? Ha ha. <laughs> um, and I love it for two reasons. One, because these guys were in charge of it. And one of them was Stephen, who we read in chapter seven, in the next chapter, like preaching and being martyred. Like, oh my goodness. And the other reason is in this culture, women who were widows and in this position had no one. And it was a patriarchal culture where if you didn't have a father or a brother or a son to care for you, you had no one if your husband was gone. So to choose seven men to adopt these women and care for them the way that a son would or a brother would, that was a huge thing in their culture. And it was a huge responsibility. It wasn't something to be taken lightly. And that's what these men were doing. They were caring for them and feeding them and making sure that they had everything they needed. And they took that responsibility seriously. And they didn't forsake the gospel going forth to do it. But because of their obedience, we see then that the word of God spread and the numbers greatly multiplied because they saw that these people weren't just out to tell a new message, this is great, but they actually cared about people. And they cared about those that were most vulnerable, the widows. Because often if a widow was young, she ended up in prostitution if she had nobody to care for her. If a widow was old, she was begging on the streets because there was no one to care for her. There was no social security. There was no social system in place. They were left with nothing. And so to take care of these people, it was a huge deal. And we are still called to that as believers to care for those that are most in need. That's why we are so many people that are committed to working with the homeless and the poor around the world. Why there's so many believers that are working to promote education for people who are uneducated and don't have access to it. Why we have people paying for wells to be dug so people can have clean water. Um, why we have believers fighting human trafficking. People that desperately need God to be there for them and care for them. Um, it's a huge part of the gospel message that, you know, Jesus, he said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to bring the good news to set freedom for the captive. You know, that's people captive in poverty, captive in suffering, captive in slavery, like all these things. The message that we bring brings life and truth and freedom. And so that's a huge part of why the church exists. It's why we do the food to go and grow and why we're involved in bread and roses and why we're involved in all these other programs is because in giving to missions is because that's part of our responsibility to the community around us to care for them. Or when people have needs in our, in our religious community here, right in the church, we do our best to try to help them get the care that they need as much as we're able to. Um, and the third reason the church exists is to encourage and equip believers to fulfill God's plan. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Starting with verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to be a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, 
may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective workings by which every part does its chair, causes growth in the body and the edifying itself in love. So the church itself was given gifts. And this passage in Ephesians talks about five um, five of the ministry gifts. We t- there's also another passage in Corinthians that talks about the, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but the purpose was for those gifts that God gave them to us through his Holy Spirit was that when we come together as believers that we can help each other grow. And the thing that's happened that's really frustrating is that church has become about sermons and not about building each other up to the point where people think if they've listened to a sermon, that's church for them during the week, and that's not church. That's like watching a TED Talk about Jesus. It's not, It's not. okay? Um, it's... It's good. We need that. We need teaching. We need sound doctrine in our lives. Um, We need to grow. But a huge part of that growth is being in the community of believers who all have different giftings, and they're using them to help each other grow. When we serve together and have a meal together, everybody's doing different things. Some might be in the kitchen. Some might be sitting at tables. Some might be doing different stuff. But that time we spend together in fellowship, we're seeing people's gifts being used, and people are being encouraged and talked to, they talk to one another, and they share needs they have, and they pray for one another, and they have community. When we come in here and we just sit and stare up front, it's about us, isn't it? You go to a lot of churches, and I remember visiting churches when I was um, in Minneapolis, and they were really big churches. And you come in, and someone might say hi to you or whatever, but you sit there, and nobody talks to you. You hear a really good worship team, like a phenomenal professional worship team. You hear a really good message. And then there might be a time of prayer where you can go up and ask a stranger to pray for you. But it's about you. It's not about being part of that community. And people week after week, that's their experience in their churches. They come in and they have this like solo experience. And they're not really in that community. They're not really having fellowship with each other. They're not really even getting to know the other people. They're not, the gifts that the people have are not being used to build up the body because they're not given opportunity to do it. And that's not what God wanted. God wanted us to be in each other's faces. Um, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible. If I had one book of the Bible that I could take with me on like a desert island, this would be it because it's, it's so good. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more that you see the day approaching. So it's saying here, because we have this faith through Christ, that through his, his sacrifice in his body, that we, we can come in before God and we can come in together. It says, you know, don't forsake the assembly. And so many people today are forsaking the assembly because the assembly has become about a sermon and about an experience, and not about a community. And what we we want, even here, is the community. That's why we've tried to start these connection groups to help people connect. Because the way our lives are, you got to schedule something. <laughs> and to get people to connect and to see that they have these gifts, and they have these things of value to share and to serve with one another. 
And I love it um, because, and I love not this version, but the NRSV. Instead of saying, instead of saying to, to um, in verse 24, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. It says, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Let's provoke one another. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let's be instigators of love and good deeds. <laughs> How cool is that? Um, that that's the purpose of the, the body is that we provoke one another to want to do more, to be more, to love more, to serve more, to fulfill what God has for us more. And we're missing, we're missing that. We're missing that today with all of our craziness and all of our busyness. Um, and God's wanting to remind us that a devoted life requires us to be part of the community of believers, a community of people that are dedicated to the gospel, to the care for others, and to encouraging and equipping one another. You know, Pastor Jared and I, we love this job. We love, we love provoking you to love <laughs> and to do good deeds. But we want you to provoke each other, which means you have to talk to each other and be in a relationship with each other and to serve and do these things. And, and that's what we want to see God do in us and through us as a community is to become a true community of believers. And not just a Sunday, Wednesday, whenever experience that you might as well, again, be listening to a TED Talk about Jesus, but to be uh, a genuine community, the way that God designed the church to be. But that requires us to sacrifice. As we talked about in Philippians in the first week, that we consider others above ourselves, which means people more important than our Netflix queue, and the time we want to spend doing other things, that the community becomes a priority for us, again. And not just something we do once a week, but that it's part of who we are because it fulfills part of God's plan for us. Your church community is part of God's plan for you, that God would use those people to make you a better follower of Christ. That's our job is to make each other better followers of Christ. And so this week, think of ways and pray about how you can provoke people to love <laughs> and to do good deeds within your church communities, that God would use you and help you use the gifts that he's given you to do those things and to reflect on what it means to be part of the church and ask God, am I really a part of the church or am I just showing up for a podcast? You know, this is, this is, this is bigger than our convenient lifestyle. It's not meant to be convenient. It's meant to be trans transformative. And nothing transformative is, is convenient. It's not. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you designed us to be in community with you and with others. I pray that you would help us, God, to grow in this area of our lives. That we would reflect on what it means to be part of your church. What it means to provoke one another to love and good deeds. What it means to be about the, the business of sharing the gospel with others to be about meeting the needs of those around us, Lord. I pray that you would just give us insight, wisdom, and direction, and that you'd help us to grow daily in these things, I pray, and that you would just do a mighty work in our lives. We just ask in Jesus' name, amen.